Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. We are nearing the end of another month. Can you believe it? But I did not want September to wrap without an acknowledgement that September is Suicide Prevention Month. It's a critical issue that we want to raise awareness about whenever there is an opportunity to do so. And this takes on special significance because we continue to be in the middle of a global pandemic. A study this summer by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention suspected that emergency room visits following suicide attempts were higher in both boys and girls during a one month period this year than in the same period of time in 2019. My guest is Jason Rodriguez from Hillside. Hillside is a longstanding leader in the field of youth and family mental health services. Jason, thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. Tell me about your role at Hillside. Yes, I am the community director uh, for community programs. Uh, basically, I am the director for a set of programs that provide services um, to youth that go home basically at the end of the day. Um, so in the community, working in the homes, schools, um, virtually and so on. Tell me a little bit more about some of those programs and services that Hillside provides to, to families to take advantage of in their homes. Sure, um, one of the bigger programs that we have is an in-home service. And so basically um, we have a set of therapists um, and professionals that would be able to assist families who have youth with um, mental health difficulties, behavioral difficulties, um, or just a general um, mental health um, uh, spikes and uh, issues uh, that occur because of you know, external forces, internal forces, and things of that nature. Um, yeah. yeah. So I referenced the June CDC study that took a look at a 30-day period uh, in February and March. Uh, to what do we attribute the possible correlation between youth suicide and the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, I think it's um, no question that COVID has increased um, stressors across the board. Um, research has shown that the levels of anxiety and depression are at much higher levels than, um, than previously before COVID. Um, and obviously because of all of the societal changes and, um, and shifts within uh, the environmental um, aspects of a, a youth's life um, would lead to an increase in stressors that would lead also to increases in anxiety and depression. Um, as we all know that uh, if, if a person struggles with anxiety and depression, they're at a higher risk of um, suicidality, suicidal ideation, um, and conflicts in the home um, and dysregulation. Um, and so I feel like there's a pretty strong correlation between um, the suicide rates and COVID. So the pandemic becomes a, yet another challenge 
that young people are having to navigate during a very critical time in their emotional development? Absolutely, um, particularly uh, youth of um, uh, youth of, of, of uh, or people of color um, are typically uh, disproportionately affected by COVID, um, and that also goes with the youth um, of of these populations. And so um, there's a, a really special kind of attention that needs to be had with, um, with folks um, who are disproportionately impacted as well as their youth um, who may or may not have access to resources um, that other populations typically have. Such as? Um, a, a lot of our folks um, don't have access to uh, mental health, um, whether it's because they live in an area of town or a more rural area that has um, fewer resources available to them, um, not to mention um, disparities in um, social economic status, um, you know, uh, generational access to um, healthcare and things of that nature. Talk to our audience about some of the other emotional growth areas that our tweens and teens are having to master between the ages of 12 and 17 that the pandemic seems to be aggravating. Yeah, I, I think we, we forget uh, between those ages, um, the most important thing for kids is uh, to, to kind of learn who they are, to build their personality um, and to um, kind of gain perspective in where they, where they stand within the world. Um, and a lot of that learning is done in um, a, um, in schools basically. <laughs> and so they, 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 they develop their personalities as well as their abilities to communicate effectively um, and, and develop their emotional um, acumen um, in schools. And, and a, lot of, a lot of kiddos, um, you know, have, they're a year behind uh, because they've had to go virtually. Um, and at the same time, the, the school setting right now is, is probably a little bit more stressful than we remember with all of the, you know, the COVID checks and masks and um, expressions of uh, concern and all of that stuff for, for them. So are you saying it's pretty hard to sort of master and develop social skills on a screen when you're young, as opposed to older as you and I are right now as we talk on this screen? Right, I think um, we, we kind of discount uh, nonverbal communication and prosthetics um, in regards to part of, of being about 80% of uh, communication. Um, and so although we, we are able to kind of verbally communicate um, and to communicate through email and other forms of, of media, um, you know, a, a young person who's still trying to find out like if it's socially acceptable to stand closer or further away from a, from, from a friend or, or someone else, um, they kind of lose, they lost a year of, uh, of that kind of practice and the feedback that they get from others and, um, and teachers and all that stuff. So um, social emotional learning is really kind of taking a hit a little bit. You're saying it's basically stunted, so to speak. Um, it's, it's just delayed. You know, I'm, I'm sure all the, like youth are, are very resilient. Um, they'll be able to bounce back real, relatively easily. Um, but at the same time, there, there are a, a smaller subset of kids that probably had a, have a little bit more trouble in that kind of realm. And so it, it'll lead them to have a, a few more difficulties um, within the near future. And so hopefully like people like Hillside and other entities would be able to assist um, in that fashion. The numbers cited in the CDC study 
were much higher for girls than for boys. And these the numbers of, of kids who were going to the ER during that period of time. Why is it tougher for girls? I, I think within our culture and in our society, um, young men and young boys um, are, are kind of reinforced to express themselves um, in a more outward, aggressive fashion. And so it may be likely that we have young boys getting in more trouble um, behaviorally, um, having difficulty following directives and simple uh, like actions like that, maybe getting into a little bit more fights, being more verbally aggressive. Whereas um, within our culture and, and you know, uh, young ladies and young, young women, young girls um, tend to internalize um, feelings and thoughts um, maybe a little bit more than boys. Um, uh, and that gender difference may lead to additional you know, difficulties with suicidality and um, non-suicidal self-harming and um, uh, just a negative self-concept. Beyond acting out and the cultural cue of showing force and or bravado amongst boys, uh, what are some of the other different coping mechanisms that tweens and teens, boys and girls are developing and using at this age of development? Right, I think the, the simplest and, and, and most effective way to, to help young people is to assist them with being more mindful and more thoughtful of um, their body, their feelings, um, and their thoughts, um, and and that it's okay for their feelings and their and their thoughts to drift into something that may not be, you know, socially acceptable, but at the same time that they're able to kind of effectively communicate that in a in, in a in a more positive or helpful way. Um, I think sometimes uh, young people are taught that these certain feelings are bad, like anger or sadness or frustration or um, shame, um, and they should bottle it up or, or, or express it in a different way, you know. Um, and so if, if a young person gets that message, they may express it in a way that may not be as helpful, um, rather than just saying, going up to a, a trusted adult saying, I, I, I feel embarrassed um, that I didn't do well in this test. Um, but instead of that, that, you know, a young person can say, I'm, I'm sad, I'm dumb, and they internalize it and they don't communicate effectively. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that we can do as adults is to give them a place to openly express themselves so that they can do it safely uh, without the, the, the increased intensity of expression. When a child or young person comes to a trusted adult with one of those messages, what is the best way for the adult to respond? And give me some examples of things a parent or a relative or a teacher or one of these people in those roles will say, can say, to help that young person not make uh, an adverse decision. Of course. I, I mean, I first, it's being able and being willing to listen to others. Um, or to them whenever they're expressing themselves. Um, and, and it's important to be non-judgmental in, in, in your listening in that if, if someone is expressing that, hey, I, I, I have thoughts about hurting myself, you know, our, our immediate knee-jerk reaction is, oh, don't say that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't wanna hear you say that. I don't wanna hear that you are, you're feeling that way. Uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, but as an adult, we have to remember that we're, we have to be there for them. 
And so to, to give them a space to openly express themselves however they feel like it, and then really kind of identify, okay, well, what can I do to help? And so, and if you do that, you put yourself in a position of being a helper rather than someone who they should be weary of expressing themselves around. Um, and if they, and if they, if a young person comes to you and they express that they want to hurt themselves um, or have thoughts about killing themselves, um, be direct with them. You know, ask them, "Hey, have you actually thought about killing yourself, or have you actually thought about hurting yourself? Like, do you have a plan to, to what? Do you know what you're going to do if if you continue to think that? Um, and express to them that, like, I, you know, you're here to help, and you know, there there are different people that we can talk to." We're talking to Jason Rodriguez. He is the uh, Community Programs Director over at Hillside, which is uh, a leader in the field of youth and family mental health services. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and we've been talking about a CDC study from this summer back in June that looked at a 30-day period between February and March this year, and in the same period of time prior and saw a pretty serious uptick and the number of trips to the ER amongst kids between the ages of 12 and 17, more so girls than boys. Jason, talk to us about social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all of, I don't even know how many others are out there, and the role and influence that they're playing in the lives of our young people. Is that too a contributing factor? It very well could be. Um, I, I really do think that um, in a connected world, when we think about everything that's available on the internet and social media, it feels like we're connected to others. And at the same time, it also increases that feeling of isolation, um, of, of, of individualism and things of those of that nature. Um, and so it, I, I can see where if, if a young person goes into social media and is, is very active within social media, although that person may be active and connecting with others, feelings of loneliness and isolation could increase um, because they aren't having that face-to-face -face contact with peers and friends and, and experiencing events together and, and knowing how to navigate um, social interactions um, in a, you know, face-to-face -face world. Yeah. And is it fair to say that at this age of, of social and emotional development, kids just don't get that nobody puts a bad day up on social media. It's <laughs> always the best day ever. You look the best that you've ever been. And so much of that really is just not seated in reality. It, it really is a black and white kind of uh, way of thinking online, isn't it? Um, th this idea that things are the most wonderful or the, the worst thing that could ever happen, you know? And so it, it, it lends itself to the idea that the gray areas or the neutral times in your life or the normal days are considered bad, you know? And so some youth that struggle with depression or a significant anxiety, they, you know, neutral situations tend to, if, if they needed to just kind of process an event, even if it's neutral, they'll, they'll, if they have to put it into a box, it, they'll put it into that negative box because it's not that overwhelming happiness or joy um, that's described online. And so the, one of the big things that we, we would have to work with them on is really kind of accepting when things are 
there and neutral and they, they don't have to be one thing or another. We can accept them for what they are. What role does the family have on uh, tween and teens development at this age? We've been having this conversation about using the right kind of language and encouraging young people to lean into their emotions. And if they are feeling stress or anxiety, that it is okay to feel that way and to be supportive and to help them. But you have this conversation with some parents, some grandparents, and that was not their experience growing up. And they might communicate a very different message to that young person. Help, help us out here. Yeah, and, and here, here's the thing is that every family member, uh, if they're expressing that they want to help their young person, all of their actions are in good faith. You know, like no one's going in there thinking that, oh, well, I'm going to yell at this child and that's going to, you know, I'm going to make things worse. You know, everything that fa most family members do and parents and grandparents do is, is in their view, the best interest of their youth. And to be honest, you know, like they, they may have had multiple children and, and you know, may not have had any difficulty with their parenting style, which is perfect. Um, there, but there may be one or, or two within their household or, or in their family that maybe processes information just a little bit differently than the rest of the family, um, or maybe um, views certain types of um, pieces of communication um, as a little bit more negatively than, than others who maybe are accepting of that neutral kind of experience. And so that's kind of when families need to kind of look and, and say like, hey, well, like, am I doing this for me or can I, can I shift what I, how I parent or how I communicate with, with my young person so that they hear me um, and hear my message rather than um, hearing what I don't want them to hear, which is anger and frustration and disappointment and things of that nature. Jason, what is dialectical behavior therapy and how is it used to treat someone who might be thinking about hurting themselves? Yeah, dialectical behavioral therapy. Um, Hillside, if, if, if Hillside has a specialty, it is within this uh, modality. Um, it's the idea that one um, one thing can have both positive and negative um, encapsulated within it, um, and so the idea that. Um, Donuts are delicious, but they are also bad for me. Um, that is a dialectic. Um, and spinach is tastes terrible, um, but it is so good for my body and it's a superfood. Um, and so th those two things, why can't donuts be a superfood? Why can't we just have everything all at once? Um, but that's not quite how the world works. Um, dialectical behavioral therapy is um, a therapy that just allows us to work within those gray areas of the world. Um, to be able to understand that there are both positives and not so positives that come out of certain things and that we have to accept the whole of the thing, which means we have to accept both the positive and the not so positive of it. Um, and it's been really helpful because it maintains a non-judgmental stance with young people who, um, who have that black and white thinking and struggle and they, they have that um, the predisposition because of anxiety or depression that lead them to suicidal thoughts or suicidal actions. What are the warning signs? There, there can be a lot of different warning signs for different children. Um, a, a lot of the, the, the warning signs we see more 
more um, consistently is isolation and this idea of hopelessness with youth um, and the, the, the lack of support that you have. And so a lot of the times whenever we, we get a referral or we see someone come through the doors, um, if we express and we assess um, their suicidality and um, their suicidal expressions, a lot of the time it's, um, it's driven by this in, intense feeling of hopelessness, uh, this intense feeling of isolation um, and uh, this feeling of uh, lack of support or, or the inability to identify helpful supports, whether, whether we know it's there or, or not. And so, um, so those are hallmarks for, for young people that I, we see a little bit more currently now. And it, it kind of goes hand in hand with a lot of the things that we talked about in regards to being in a, in a connected world and, and social media. If a parent or loved one thinks that a child in their life is contemplating harming themselves, what should that parent or loved one do? Right. And, you know, to, to, to kind of build off of what we discussed before in regards to building a non-judgmental staff uh, stance and a, a safe place for them to, to speak, I think it's okay for the family. And I think sometimes parents are are less likely to, to ask directly, hey, are you going, do you feel like hurting yourself or do you feel like killing yourself? Um, Is it okay to it, ask that question directly? If, if you're worried about your child, does that put that thought in the child's head? No, it, it doesn't. And, and there's been a ton of research out, out there to, to make sure that that's not the case. Um, and, and, and it isn't. And so feel safe to know that if you ask that question, you, you should be able to feel, feel comfortable knowing that that's, it's not going to insert that idea into their head. Um, and the, I think the next step would be to, to kind of put yourself in a position of saying that, hey, I'm here for you. I'm going to try to get you help, whether it's with with me or someone that I trust, or we can we can try to find someone to help us out in the best way we can. And and typically that's obviously a mental health provider, um, you know, or, or or a medical doctor or something of that nature. So as we wrap up here, help us out with um, if I have questions or someone listening has questions about well, who do I call? Where do I go? What can I ask? Uh, can they reach out to the folks over at your organization at Hillside? And then finally, uh, if someone in our audience is aware or becomes aware of someone who is in crisis, uh, let's make sure that we can put a hotline number out there for people to call. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, here's the hotline first. The, the Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline is, um, is a 1-800 number that's accessible to, to most everyone with a phone. It's at 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255. Um, and they also have a, a new uh, chat option for people who are online, and that's suicidepreventionlifeline.org slash chat. Um, so if anybody is experiencing any suicidality themselves um, or needs assistance for, for finding some resources for others or knowing what to do with others, um, these, these places can be contacted. Um, in regards to, you know, here in Atlanta, um, if there's a young person or a family that's struggling with behavioral difficulties, um, like I, we at Hillside would love to help. Our main number is 404-875-4551. Um, and you can just kind of express uh, what you're looking for and we'll, we'll make sure that you're able to speak with someone um, that fits your needs. Jason Rodriguez from Hillside, we appreciate your time. 
and all of this great information. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I'd hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condus Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condus? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.